Hi, this is Jeff Ashkin in Los Angeles, California, with Roy Cole in Jersey City, New Jersey, and Derek Kessler in Yokohama, Japan. And this is part two of our favorite ours with Wes Gunn. Okay, so my next artist uh, is Kara Walker, and uh, she is a well-known contemporary uh, black artist. And uh, I first came across her uh, in the New York Times um, uh, several years ago, and uh, she's like sort of well-known. Um, she's got these like black on white silhouettes uh artworks i think it's uh i think they're paper like oh, construction, black, black construction paper yeah and uh so at the they, road they sort of like tell a story and it's a lot and a lot of it has to do with um the old south and slavery and um i think she's gotten black from other african american like the african-american art community at large possibly um because they accused her of uh uh caricaturing uh those issues in order to appeal to a white audience but and it, it may be true that i mean it's sort of like uh cutesy slightly at the outset when you're first looking at it but you know as you as you observe the artwork, it, it becomes clear that there's a lot of, this isn't about a cute story. This is a, these are themes of torment and uh, abuse. And there's all this, this undercurrent of, uh, you know, a terrible history. But uh, the, I think mean, the artwork itself is, uh, has always um, struck me. And she's also, I didn't realize until I was uh, looking her up to get some notes down for, to talk about her, but she had also done this other artwork that I had seen and didn't realize it was hers. So several years ago, the Domino Sugar Refinery, I think, in um, Brooklyn was shutting down, and she did this giant uh, sculpture inside of it of, uh, like... Uh, an African or black slave woman, uh, like in the form of a, a sphinx. It looks like she's carved out of white sugar and uh, sort of like a monumental sculpture. And then she's like surrounded by these toiling little black kids who are like, you know, carrying like sugar baskets around their sugar cane on their shoulders. But it's like, but they look like they're all sculpted out of brown sugar or molasses some are sprinkled with like powdered sugar or brown sugar and they're so i mean it's obviously about you know it's like about exploitation and everything but the sculptures are just so cool like they're like translucent like they've been like they're molded out of uh like caramelized sugar and uh they're pretty awesome um, I, yeah, her work is at the Broad, and uh, it's very, it's very good. Yeah, she's, got whole, yeah, a whole, yeah. she's got a whole room dedicated to her uh, work. I remember, Jeff, we we had a conversation about her art, I believe yeah. specifically, and I remember that art. It's very striking, and it's very 
Um, at first, you kind of don't know what's going on. And then as you analyze the work more, you start to get an idea for the, um, the metaphor that she's trying to express. And um, I'm glad that Wes brought her up because I, I do enjoy her art as well. And I think it's, I think it's, a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of meaning to each piece. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I wanted to go back to uh, what you were talking about, Derek, you were saying that you didn't appreciate art until you read um, that sort of art history book. And uh, I had a sort of a similar, but opposite experience where I didn't really get, or give a shit about uh, history in general. Because uh, to me, it was like all a bunch of like, oh, well, this guy was in power and then he died because he got murdered by so-and-so. And then uh, that guy came in, and married his half-sister and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but then like when I finally took art history uh, in college, I was like, oh, oh this all makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all these things changing and people changing and culture changing over time. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. I'm glad you said that. And, and I'm glad when you said you had the opposite experience that you didn't mean you read the book and then you like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I hate it now. Wow. God. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. With my experience in particular, I, I guess I always liked the historical art, but it more modern art. I would say everything from impressionism on, I just could not understand. And I had no interest in it because I didn't understand what it was, what, what the purpose of it was. But yeah, so I kind of, we kind of had the inverse experience. That was like, yeah. I don't so want I can go on to, yeah, I can go on to my second artist. Um, I guess, so this is another um, historical artist, but um, I'm going to go with El Greco my second choice mm. the wrestler um, what <laughs> sounds like a wrestler <laughs> uh are you guys familiar with his work or i am not i i know the name i can't i can't think of anything off the top of my head though but uh that means the greek right correct so um el greco is his real name is uh, obviously different. He was born in Crete, Greece, and uh, has a long Greek name, but he was mainly active in Toledo, Spain. And being the main active Greek artist, the Spaniards referred to him as El Greco, and that is the name that is stuck. Uh, he was born in 1541 and died in 1614, just to give you context, temporal context. So um, the reason I like him is because he has an extremely idiosyncratic style of art, which is very rare in this period of art history. Um, a lot of artists now, uh, modern artists, they have their own style or a style that's very different from what's popular. And you can see it and you get, you know exactly who painted it or who created it just by the style. But like pre-impressionist and pre, you know, we're talking 1500s, it's kind of hard to look at a piece of art and know exactly, without a doubt, who painted it, um, just based on the style. And I think El Greco is one of the rare exceptions to that. Um, he paints, uh, the figures in his paintings are elongated. They're kind of, they have this ghostly look to them. 
they're vibrant in color, but they're usually finished with these striking um, bright white edges. And they're usually set against very dramatic black backgrounds. So they have this very otherworldly look to them. And um, again, if you see a painting of it, once, once you see a painting and then if you're told that this is by El Greco, I can guarantee that every single piece of art that you see uh, that's by him, you'll know instantly that it was him. Um, and you can look up uh, one of his more famous paintings called The Opening of the Fifth Seal, which really has a lot of, it's just like all of his attributes, um, like full, full up and center, um, just to get an idea. And then once you see that, if you look up other pieces by him, you'll see exactly what I mean by how easy it is to distinguish his style. And um, I just think it's really cool that he was so different uh, in his time. Like, there's no direct predecessor that, like, led him to his style. He just had a, his own style, and he just went with it. And he was very not um, understood during his time. I think critics were very um, negative towards him in his time, but... Now he's regarded as one of the masters of the era. And um, I think it wasn't until several hundred years later that anyone as idiosyncratic as him would appear in art. Um, mm. He had his art is like very surreal and, and almost like post-impressionist, which, you know, that style kind of really took shape in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So he was way ahead of his time. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's just, uh, something about his style that I really like. Um, he has a couple pieces in, in the Getty. Um, if you're, if you're in Los Angeles, um, and a lot of his work in his hometown of Toledo, Spain still, which, which I visited and, uh, really got a sense of, you know, a, a lot, you know, how much art he has and how, how loved he is in, in that er area. So, um, yeah, that's, that's one person that I would recommend. It's one of my favorites. Did you mention why uh, why he makes the his figures elongated? Because I see that in, now in all his paintings. It's just it was just his style. It was just his interpretation. Um, okay. I, I don't know if there's any specific reason why, but if you look, you see his figures are kind of like wavy and right. Like um, no one had ever painted anyone like that before, and no one would for several hundred years, and so it it's just like a really cool um it's just really cool to have like your own style that no one else has has replicated and you can go to different museums around the world and they'll often you can just walk into a room and know exactly like oh that's el greco you like know instantly i think that's really cool i thought maybe he hung out with mostly tall people <laughs> <laughs> he's just painting what he saw <laughs> Roy's interpretation. Yeah, that's, that's what happens when you don't read the story of art and you interpret paintings. How'd you go next, Roy? Oh, gosh. All right. Well, it's going to go downhill from here as far as my picks. Um, no, the next two. So, I think, Jeff, you mentioned that, that I do photography. I, I guess I dabble in it. But, uh, yeah. Be, so, what's that? Roy's very, Roy's very good at uh, photography. Don't, don't be modest. He's very good. He's downplaying. I need more oh, followers uh, on Instagram. Chilltown NJ is my. Wait, is right. that my handle? 
Okay, enough self-promotion. Why you don't have a lot of followers because you don't know your handle. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm I'm literally checking what my handle is now because I don't All know. Right. It. Hold for checking for the handle. Chilltown JC. Say I got it wrong. There you go. Uh, so okay. don't 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 follow that other guy. That guy sucks. Chilltown <laughs> NJ. Um, Chilltown JC. Let's see, you want to follow? Um, so yeah. So with that in mind, my my next two are both uh photographers or, or maybe you would call them photojournalists um but uh this guy that i like uh is not famous at all i i don't even know how i found him but just from like scrolling through instagram but his instagram handle is uh tom mitz t-h-o-m-m-i-t-z i don't know anything about him except that it appears his name is tom mitz according to his Instagram handle. Um, he doesn't even have that many. He has 10,000 followers. But uh, he does uh, street photography, which is my favorite genre of photography. I think mainly because I'm not that good at it because um, it's hard to, to sneak up on people. Um, but he does street photography. I think he lives in Hong Kong because most of his photos are of Hong Kong. But But he actually has photos all throughout um, Asia, East Asia and Southeast Asia, uh, Taiwan, South Korea, Thailand. And uh, even he has photos in Israel as well. And uh, yeah, as far as um, street photography, um, I'm always impressed when... Uh, I like street photography that, that captures uh, like the, the daily grind of life. Um, in order to capture that, you have to get like very candid photos, right? You can't really have people pose for you or, or you kind of lose that effect. And uh, I just think this guy does an amazing job at that. Um, you see these photos of people and the expressions are always very um, uh, expressive, I guess, very emotive. Um, I don't know how he gets so up close to some of these people because uh, it's it's. It doesn't look like they're posing for him at all. So he's definitely very sneaky. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just, um, I like the the little slices of life that, that he captures in his photos. Um, but he's not popular at all. It looks like a typical photo on his gets like 500 likes on Instagram. So So I'm talking like... Like our our podcast might be more popular, more popular than uh than his Instagram. Not but, anymore. Uh, but <laughs> but after this plug, uh, he's he's gonna uh, soar. But uh, yeah, nothing real famous about him. But but I, I think his photos are, are brilliant, and uh, I admire street photographers, uh, because it's like it's half of it is the skill of taking really good photos, and then half of it is the skill of like maneuvering your way around people. And it's, I don't want to say being sneaky, but, but like, it, it's pretty hard to um, get candid shots of people uh, kind of without them knowing what's going on. So, so yeah, it's very impressive to me. That's very cool. Um, well, for me, um, moving on to my second choice, first of all, I, I, one difficult thing about the list that we're doing is that it keeps going back to 
who do I think is the best and who are my favorite? And a lot of times I don't, I, I know that there's going to be one that's one. There's going to be a lot that are be, I think are very influential, but then there's just your heart saying, but this really speaks to me, you know, even though it may not be the most influential or the, you know, uh, or the best of all time. So that being said, though, I have to give a shout out before I get to my second choice to Michelangelo, uh, the Renaissance painter, not the Ninja Turtle, um, because I do think his work as a sculptor and as a painter are both breathtakingly beautiful. And I would say that he's probably on my list, but not, I guess not in my top three, but I had had to mention him anyway, just because I feel like it's important. Um, I would, I can't, I, I, I love the Sistine Chapel ceiling so much. And of course, you know, uh, David, um, and I think it's definitely brilliant what he's done. So that being said though, here's my real second choice. Um, moving on. I'm going to go Leonardo. Leonardo. Yeah. <laughs> no, actually Donatello and Splinter. No. Um, <laughs> Bebop and Rocksteady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, uh, for my second choice, I'm going to go with Monet. I find that his work with water lilies and his impressionist, impressionist paintings, what I like about his work so much for me personally is the detail and the, and the color scheme that he uses continually makes me stare at his work. Uh, if you're if you're looking at a, at a Monet painting, looking at one section of the painting and looking at another section of the painting, your eye can just capture so much detail. You can get close to the painting, you can get far away from the painting, and I feel like you can keep, get, keep getting different senses. And all of them actually very peaceful. Um, if I had to pick a painting that I'd want to have in my living room to calm me down of a, after a long day of work, I would choose the water lilies and just stare at that. If I'm if it's a rainy day and I can't look out at the beautiful sky, I'd love to look at one of his paintings. I just feel at peace and feel calm. Um, and I just, I just like I said, I feel very uh, encouraged by his work. Like I feel like, like almost uplifting and positive, which I think is so it's a very amazing effect to be, to give to somebody who is separated by over almost a hundred years between us. <laughs> but um, I just, this really speaks to me. Anyway, um, if you're so to be in Paris, I would obviously recommend checking out the La Angerie, which has his, I don't know if I said that right, which is a uh, museum that has a lot of his work and also the Musée d'Orsay in addition to, to, of course, the Louvre, of course. Do you know uh, the deep thought by Jack Handy about Monet? <laughs> no, but... I no, but I hope you bring it up. I hope you don't. I'm going like... to, I just pulled it up. Oh. <laughs> this is from Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. He says, uh, When this girl at the art museum asked me whom I liked better, Monet or Manet, I said, I like mayonnaise. She just stared at me. <laughs> so I said it again, louder. Then she left. I guess she went to try to find some mayonnaise for me. <laughs> uh, awesome. So just just to add, uh, Jeff, to to what you were saying, um, as someone who not too long ago had no interest and no understanding of Impressionist art, um, one thing that helped me understand the movement is, first of all, you, you can understand that the Impressionist movement starting, you know, in the early to mid 1800s coincides with the invention of the camera. It's very interesting to note to think of that the fact that up until that, the purpose of art was to recreate a scene as accurately as you can. 
And then once the camera was invented, that kind of made that obsolete. You no longer had to do that. So the response in the artistic community was to do something different, which was to create these kind of blurry, dreamlike uh, paintings. And so that's that's where the Impressionist movement started. And when you know that, it really makes it more interesting to try to enjoy these pieces of art. Yeah, and, what I said wasn't that interesting, but <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, no, I'm teasing. Yeah. But I I think with Impressionist art, I think one thing that's really cool about it is like there's a lot of art movements that are you know, innovation in some way or another. Uh, some of them you can appreciate from a conceptual point of view. Like you appreciate what the artist is doing in concept, but it's not necessarily visually as interesting maybe. Right. But what I like about the Impressionist movement is like, it's kind of like both. It's very mm. interesting conceptually, but also to me, it's one of the coolest looking uh, art movements because it just has that dreamlike state to it that kind of doesn't really resemble anything that came before it and so I, I think I like what you said how you can just like look at it and, and notice different things about the art but it's also interesting to know like why artists were painting like that in the first place and if you don't have that historical background it's just like why did people just start painting like fuzzy blurry you know paint were they just not as good as the people before you know it's like you don't really appreciate the artistic talent unless you understand the history yeah I guess <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. Um, on your side, okay. <laughs> no, I know. I know what you're saying. I, I just, uh, I feel like, I definitely feel like he's one of those impression. Uh, well, I think I don't know who would you say was like the father of impressionism or mother of impressionism. What would you say, Monet? Right? I would say Monet is kind of like the predecessor, and then yeah. Renoir being. You know, he didn't originate the ideas, but he definitely like pushed it forward and had his own uh, original take on impressionism. Yeah, because I would definitely say that Monet. I feel like it's it, it's a painting, but it could be. It's sort of it's interesting to me. It sort of feels realistic enough, but dreamlike enough. Definitely rides in the middle, which, as you can see, like I don't know if you see a common theme in, in the artists I'm choosing, where there's they're they're both like writing two different styles at the same time with the photographer and work imitating paintings and then his work which is sort of realistic but then sort of dreamlike so i guess i really like that type of work remember that scene in uh ferris bueller's day off where uh cameron <laughs> stares at uh is, i don't think that's monet that's um no i think it's an, no that's uh, another uh, famous paint i think yeah, yeah the one where they're in the park Sundays yeah. in the park. I and and uh, <laughs> he just uh, fixates on like the one little girl. Yeah, like, closer and closer in um, <laughs> Yeah. That's like my favorite scene in the whole movie. Sunday, Sunday in the park with George. That's the name of the painting. It's Soro, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. see, see how much you can learn from one from one book? <laughs> and one movie. <laughs> <laughs> that anyway. that that's similar to my experience in museums, is how Cameron uh, <laughs> stares at that painting. Oh, you, yeah. you don't mean the Jack Handy quote? You mean Cameron's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm more like Cameron in Ferris uh, Bueller's Day Off. You guys have anything to recommend this week? I, uh, I'll real quickly say that uh, I watched the first two episodes of the show called Alone. <laughs> uh, is this um, another Recommend? No, no. This is a high recommend. What? Um, I enjoyed this a lot. 
apparently this series has existed since like 2015. I think it used to be on the History Channel, but but the most recent season is on Netflix, and uh, it's a show about survivalists. So they have like 10 contestants and they send them out into the wilderness, some extremely remote, desolate region of, of the world. And uh, this latest season, they're in the Arctic, which is like, like you can't live in the Arctic, but, but uh, they sent 10 people to do just that. And so uh, you follow them. It's a competition. Like, like I think the last person standing gets $500,000 um and they just have to live out in the arctic wilderness um i'm only two episodes in uh already um two of the contestants were eliminated um it's just it's i i get very emotional uh when the contestants have to quit um because these are all um you you can tell like how passionate they are about like living in the outdoors and and kind of making it on their own um it, it's like all it's in, within their blood um and so to see that um to see the the um the wilderness kind of win against them you get angry you're like ah, oh, like you want to see them conquer it um but uh but nature is unforgiving um but i i, I always i love these survivalist shows um i i really enjoyed the movie the revenant uh you know, with Leonardo DiCaprio. And uh, so so this is like like the real-life version of that. Imagine if that uh, was a documentary, then it would be this show. Tune in next week for part three of our favorite artists of all time.